Now this morning we have something different. This morning is my day off. <laughs> Supposed to be my day off. And so we're having what we call a P3 where we get three expert speakers from our congregation to come up and share. Now the speakers are um, Deb Kenny is going to start. And then we've got, hang on, where is he? Oh, <laughs> he's over here. We have our, our expert on, on all things Jewish over here, Peter Roberts. And then it was going to be Pastor Leanne, but she's sick. <clears throat> so on my day off, I'll take the final leg. Um, so the whole idea is we want, to, we want to get different people's perspectives. The topic for this morning is community. And I think there is no better topic at the moment than community. Because for years, the last couple of years, you've been told isolation is good. But I'm telling you, isolation is not good. They say, you've got to be isolated for your health, they say. But I'm telling you, we need community for our mental health, do we not? Because it's great to be part of a community. So I'm going to ask you to put your hands together and welcome our first speaker. Come on up, Deb, come on. Thank you. Can everyone hear me? That's good. Light. Good morning, everyone. I've got to ask you all an important question before we start. And I need a show of hands. Who prefers summer and who prefers winter? Hands up for winter. Hands up for summer. The summers have it. Yahoo. I'm looking forward to summer. I've had enough cold. Okay, so we're going to talk about the community this morning. We're a church community, and we are a beautiful community. I love this church. Everyone is very community-minded, and everyone is so welcoming and loving, and they've got a heart for the community, and I know that. And, you know, Darren and Fiona, they've really got a heart for the community, and it shines through. They've got a, a deep and true love for people. We're part of this community. We're part of work communities, social communities, we're part of the Nambour community and the broader Sunshine Coast community. But we're also part of a heavenly, spiritual, eternal community. And we're part of this earthly community. It's the people we interact with every day, family, friends and acquaintances. Some of those people will do the journey for all of our lives. They'll be with us the whole time we're on this earth. Other people are on that journey with us for maybe years, sometimes weeks, sometimes hours, and sometimes only 10 minutes, there's ships that pass in the night. Jesus was always interacting with his community, and he was very purposeful about it, and so were his disciples. Jesus wanted his followers to go into the community. So I just want to share with you a couple of scriptures that have really been laid on my heart about how Jesus sent people into the community. And then I'm just going to share with you a little bit of my journey in becoming a Christian and how the community impacted me or didn't impact me. So the first scripture is from Luke 9, 2 and 6. It's the NIV. It says, Jesus sent his 12 disciples out saying, Proclaim the kingdom of God and heal the sick. So they set out and went from village to village, from Nambour, Burnside, Yandina, Montville, Wombai, Maruchidor, Kalandra, Kawana, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Luke 10, 1-2 says, And after the this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out, two by two, they didn't have to go on their own, they went with their friends. Two by two to every, every town, Bly Bly, Kula, Morana, went everywhere, it says. He sent them out to proclaim the gospel. He said, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers there are few. After his death and resurrection, before his ascension, he sent them out. This is Acts, sorry, this is Mark 16, 15. Go into 
all the world and preach the gospel and tell everyone the good news. The Apostle Paul in Romans 10:14, New Living Translation wrote, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go unless they're sent out? And so we were sent out, out from this community into the, people, into the community of the people that we interact with every day. Jesus said, the harvest, it's plentiful. Jesus has made an emphatic statement. There's a lot of souls out there waiting for harvest. There are a lot of people out there waiting to hear the gospel. They're eager, ready, ripe to come into the kingdom and where to go out, heralding Jesus coming and tell them. I did some quick research with the Barna Group. I don't know whether anyone's heard of the Barna Group. Um, they do a lot of surveys. And this is a recent, recent survey in the last couple of years, you know, during COVID. It said that 36%, that's more than one in three persons between the ages of 20 and 42, it says, I'll read it to you, have a personal interest in Christianity and want to hear about the Christian faith in a casual one-on-one -on -one conversation with an acquaintance. One in three people, one in three people said they're interested in hearing about Christianity. And the statistics show that they're even more interested in hearing in a conversation with someone they meet or someone they know than being invited to a Christian event. Jesus has told us there are people waiting to come into the kingdom. And I just want to briefly share with you part of my testimony. Maybe as a way of a reminder or even a challenge. Okay? So when I was in my early teens, maybe 12 or 13, I lived in a, in a town and across the road from me there was one Christian family lived here and another one about three doors up and they were beautiful people. All the kids in the street played together. You know, the women did the Avon morning teas. This was the time of the Tupperware parties and, you know, went to each other's house for coffee and everyone was very friendly. I lived there for about three years and, you know, in that time, on reflection later, I wondered why. Neither of those families ever invited us to church or ever shared the gospel with us. Do you know, I was ripe. I was interested but nobody ever shared the gospel with us from those families. And when I think about it, I think they didn't want to offend us. They didn't want to disturb the relationship. You know, we have been deceived by culture into believing that we should not upset or disturb a person's views on the identity of God by enlightening them with the truth. That is a deception. So in my later teens, um, in the town, the, the call went out to say, um, there's going to be a Christian youth party in the hall. And I thought, well, my girlfriend and I will go along. And, you know, we stood in the corner all night. There was tables around the place. We stood in the corner over there at a table. Not only did no one come and tell us about Jesus, but nobody even came to say hello. And, you know, I was on reflecting on that and I realised that they were busy with their other social Christian friends. They were also busy organising the event. And, um, you know, as Christians, sometimes we get busy with our Christian duties and we get busy with our life group. Uh, we get busy with different things. But because of that, we don't have inter time to interact with the everyday people in life. So then when I was in my early 20s, do you know what? If someone had come and talked to me about Jesus, I was hungry and I was ready, but nobody did. So when I 
um, and, and this is for all of us, just a, and myself, it's a, a reminder and a challenge. I was in my early 20s and I went to a fancy dress party. So I was invited to this party and I knew a fellow who was similar age to me in my 20s that was also going to this party and I knew that he was a Christian because he was always talking about going to church and he was a very nice, ni nice boy. And when I was, um, it was a fancy dress party, when I was driving on my way there, it started to rain and um, I, I realised that the wind, my windscreen wipers weren't working and the sun was going down and my lights didn't work so the fuse had blown in my car and I was thinking, gee, when I come back in the dark on this road, I'm not going to see where I'm going. So when I got to the party, I saw this Christian fellow and I, and I knew he didn't live far and I said, do you mind if when I'm going back I could follow your car lights? And uh, when it was time to go... So what happened was, don't ever invite me to a fancy dress party because it's not my thing, I never know what to wear. <laughs> but anyway, I was dressed in black. So I, ha I put a black dress on because I had a black dress and I made a black pointy hat, you know, from cardboard. You used to get them from the news agency in the olden days. And uh, I went as a witch. I went as a witch to this, to this party. And um, at the end of the night, uh, when it was time to go, I, I got in my car, he got in my car, in his car, and all of a sudden, he put his foot down and disappeared into the distance. And I thought, oh, what's, what's going on here? I thought he was going to let me follow him. Well, I didn't know that Christians are frightened of witches and they're evil. So I found that out a bit later. So the thing that I'm telling you here is that... Um, Sometimes we don't share the gospel because people we meet are ethically, morally or spiritually. They behave differently or in a manner that we don't feel is right. Sometimes we don't know how to engage with them and sometimes we think, stay away from them, they're evil, you know, or stay away from them, they're into drugs or stay away from them, you know, they're not going to understand, you know, these kind of things. So... I was ready. If he'd have shared the gospel with me, I would have been there. Three occasions, and that's just three I can think about, where, you know, people didn't share with us. When I was growing up, I was a very lonely person. I'd gone to 13 primary schools and moved countries, had very few friends, but in my heart, I knew that Jesus was real. At a low point in my life, my husband had come home and told me that, Oh, he didn't love me anymore. I remembered the Bible that my grandma had given me when I was 10. I it, brought it out and started to read it. There was a lot of therefores and thou arts and thou shall nots and a lot of words I did not understand. But you know what? I started reading the, the Gospel of John and I absolutely believed every single word that was written in that book. And I determined in my heart that I was going to be a follower of Jesus. Do you know, nobody shared the gospel with me. Not a single person. But Jesus shared it with me from his own word. God the Father shared it with me from his own word. Now, I know a lot of people here, and I know that you already shared the gospel with people. I know that you've got a heart and that you love people. I know that you're kind-hearted. I'm just sharing this as a bit of a reminder and maybe a bit of a challenge. Sometimes we get off track and forget that we've been sent to proclaim the gospel. And Jesus is purposely asking us to proclaim that gospel. We need to be alert and awake for divine appointments. A couple of weeks ago, there was a young fellow that came to my house. I was cleaning windows and I've got some very high windows. So I said to the contractor, uh, he sent the, this young fellow, he didn't come himself. So the young fellow was doing the high ones and I did the low ones and in, you know, he was there for a couple of hours. And um, when anyone comes to my house or I meet someone or someone approaches me, I think, is this a divine appointment? So I start chatting, I call it, I go fishing, and I'm always throwing out bait. I'm looking for an entry point to bring Jesus into the conversation. I do it naturally and instinctively. 
It's just like when you tell someone about the husband you love, your children, your grandchildren, your church, what's on special at Woolworths, about the washing, the best washing powder. It's just part of your life. You are sharing your life with people and what happens is they start to share their life with you. So we're just looking to see if someone's going to respond to us. He shared part of his life with me. So I shared my testimony with him. And then he began to ask questions. I told him when I was in my early 20s, I read the Bible and I believed it. And I decided that I wasn't doing a good job of running my life. I asked Jesus to take over my life and it's never been the same. He has blessed me exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond whatever I dreamed. He said he was interested. I asked him, would he like to become a Christian? He said, you know what? I don't know any Christians. None of my family are Christian, but you know what? He said, I've always believed that God was real. I wanted to become a Christian. I just didn't know how. I told him about how much God loved him and cares for him. And I talked with him about how sometimes we do the wrong thing and God calls that sin and it separates us from God. And he acknowledged and recognised this. People don't need us to labour on sin. They instinctively know they're sinners. We explain it to them, but it's the spirit who convicts. The scripture says, our hearts condemn us. The Bible tells us that we already feel condemned. It's in knowing and understanding God's love and kindness towards him that our hearts are turned, into, turned to repentance. Our family and friends don't need us pointing out their failings. They already deep down know that. Romans 2.4 says God's kindness, God's kindness is intended to lead us to repentance. When we disciple people, they gradually change the way they live. We never neglect love and compassion and mercy because we've never walked in their steps. We don't know their story. We don't know their trauma. We don't know what they've endured. Only God knows that. We share with them the love of God and Christ massages their heart they're convicted of sin and then their lives change. It's a journey God takes us all individually. So just in summing up, sharing the good news of the kingdom of God in our community is just loving people and sharing what we know to be true in a natural and kind way. I know many of you already do it. I just wanted to remind you and to challenge you that there's people that are out there every day and sometimes we might be missing them. There are people, you know, I've shared the gospel with someone in the shopping line. It's, sometimes it's just a 10 minutes you're meeting people. The harvest is plentiful. Jesus has emphatically stated there are people waiting to hear the gospel from you. And sometimes you're the person that's done a journey just like they're in and it's your job to share that message with them. Not everyone's going to be open. But unless you go out into the community and talk with people, you're not going to know who's interested and who's not. I encourage those of you who don't feel confident. I'm just promising you that if you can get past your fear of rejection and be open, God is going to send people your way because he sent, he'll say, Mary, Betty, Fred, I know that if I send someone to them, they're going to share the gospel. Bless you all. If anyone wants me to pray for them later, for a spirit of fire in the belly to share the gospel, come and see me. challenge. Boy, divine appointments, ain't they good, aren't they? Um, we talk about community and Darren has asked me to 
um, well, Leanne through Darren, uh, to talk about um, salt and light that comes from the Gospels when Jesus was talking to the people and uh, how that uh, applied to them and how it applies to us today living here. Uh, in, um, in Matthew's Gospel, um, chapters 4 and 5 and 6 and 7, it describes Jesus going around Galilee and talking to the people and they were coming from far and wide to hear him from as far south as Jerusalem and the Decapolis, the eastern, the Greek cities and all around Galilee and they were, they were thronging to him and he was healing all those who had any sort of disease and they were hungering for more of what was coming out of his mouth and the miracles that he was performing and so eventually he, um, he went up on the hill, a hill nearby and his disciples came with him and he sat down and he started talking to the people and the chapters 5, 6 and 7 there in Matthew give you a summary of what he said. And he started off by talking about the Beatitudes that we know, uh, the blessed hours, etc. And then he said, um, he said two other things, then he, a double barrel. Then he said, you are, you are salt for the earth and you are the light for the world. And unfortunately, our translations mess it up. Because <laughs> he didn't say you are salt for the earth. He said you are salt for this land. Remember, he's talking to Jewish people and some Gentile people from the Decapolis nearby. And he said that the word that's used in, because he was quoting from, from the Psalms, and he said, you are, you are the salt of this Eretz Israel, E-R-E-T-Z, this land, this land that is being given to you by God, your father, through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you people are salt for this land. You are salt here where you are. And uh, that must have been quite a shock, I think, to some of them. Because salt, you see, salt preserves. And salt gives flavour and it savours and that sort of thing. And unless you uh, mix it, as they used to, with sand to make it go further, but it, it's, it's a very strong product, as you know. Like, wasn't it Captain Cook who discovered that salt would stop the sailors from getting scurvy? Something like that. Is that who it was? Who? Vitamin C. They didn't have it in those days. <laughs> Anyhow, so, he, so he's, um, he said, you've got to keep your salt clean and pure and don't dilute it. Don't mix it with anything else. Because you people here, you Jewish people, you're part of my family because I'm a Jew too, he said. right? And you Gentile people who are here with us, you are salt of this land of Israel. And you are here because God has put you here to manifest his glory manifest his power and his light if you go back to exodus chapter 12 when they came out of egypt and it says in verse 38 of that chapter that a mixed multitude came with them of gentiles non-hebrew people and they journeyed with them all the way to the promised land and they crossed over with uh, under joshua at jericho and they were became part of the people and god uh, and jesus said this land here this eretz israel this this special piece of dirt here from Mount Hermon in the north to Ulat in the south and the coast and across the Jordan River in the land designated as being the promised land, you are salt here because God has put you here and you are here to manifest his glory in this land. That's why you're the salt. When that happens, when they realize they're the salt, good things happen. In the 1860s or so, Mark Twain visited Israel was called something else then but he went there and he was disgusted if you like at what he saw and he wrote a book called innocence abroad and in that book he described the desolation he rode for 30 miles through the jezreel valley on his horse and saw 10 people he said it's just it's, there's no trees it is so barren this is the promised land he's talking about and it had gone to rack and ruin then Jesus said to them, not only are you salt for this land here, you are a light to the world. The whole world is to know about God and about salvation through you people. But you won't be able to get that right until you get this right. And he encouraged them, he exhorted them to make sure their salt was right so that they could take the gospel, the truth of God, into all the world. Back in biblical times, if a non-Jewish person wanted to know about the Hebrew God, as a lot of them did, they would come to the Hebrew Jewish people and say, tell me about your God. I want to know about your God. I want to join your God. Can I? And so they became proselytes, as you read about in Acts 2. 
a Gentile person who adopts Judaism. He becomes a proselyte. But what happened was that the, the mandate to, to take the gospel, the truth of God, into all the world was diluted over the time because their salt had lost its savour. And they, they, it ebbed and flowed their ability to do that. And they ended up having a trend, trans, sorry, centripetal active faith. It went inwards. After the Messiah came and after Acts 2, it became centrifugal and it was flung out. And as you know from the book of Acts, they went all around the Roman Empire, all around the known world, as far as India, etc., etc., with the good news of the gospel. And so a, a centripetal faith became a centrifugal faith as they adopted the outward looking. In Israel today, there's about seven and a half million Jewish people and one and a half million non-Jewish people of Arab or Armenian or whatever heritage and descent. There's about 100,000 plus believers, call them messianic believers, who recognize that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah and they've committed themselves, themselves to him as we as Christians have, in the same way. They realize that there is only redemption in him. I heard recently a rabbi who came to know, in America, a rabbi who came to know Jesus and he was somewhere and he heard someone say the words of John uh, the Baptist when he said, look, he who takes away the sin of the world. And this rabbi was gobsmacked. He takes away the sin of the world and he thought to the Day of Atonement with the scapegoat and all that. And it's only for 12 months and he developed it more, and he said, that is mind-blowing, that statement. He said, you Gentiles, you don't realize the power of that statement. But to a Jewish person, it is monumental. He takes away the sin of the world. Just like Deb said, he takes away our sin as well, and as we've been singing about this morning. There are about 100,000-plus believers in the land of Israel today. 150 years ago, you'd count them on a hand, one one hand. But after the Iron Curtain fell and through the 1800s, late 1800s and in through the 1900s, Jewish people started coming back to the land. And a lot of them have become believers. They came into the land as believers and they've become believers since they got there. And the more believers that are in that land, the stronger the land becomes. And God is preserving Israel today because of the believers in the land because they are the salt of the land. It says it in the Bible. They are the salt. And the more believers there are there, the stronger the land will become, the stronger the nation will become, economically, politically, socially, morally, every way you like, as more and more people get saved, more and more. And every day, Jewish people are coming to know the Lord. They're coming back from overseas. They're returning home to the promised land in fulfillment of umpteen promises through the Hebrew Bible and in the New Testament. God is doing something in our day. While we sit here this morning, People are coming back to Israel. People are coming to know their Messiah. And that is good because it all centers there. That's our mother church, if you like, is in Jerusalem. I've gone right away from the notes. I don't know where they are. It doesn't matter. I've got to finish in a minute. Darren's getting toey down there. <laughs> um, what about us? You see, all those things that Jesus said to the people who were there, does it apply to us? In its primary context, it was there. That's who he spoke to, in the primary context. I'm a great believer in keeping scripture in its context. Don't take it out of context. Lose its pitch. But does it apply to us? Yes, it does. Why? Because Paul says in Romans and Ephesians and other places, the moment a Gentile person becomes a believer in Jesus as Messiah and Savior, we are instantly transferred from a wild olive tree into a cultivated olive tree, Romans 11. And we inherit all the blessings and all the warnings that they do. We are one with them. We are in the same tree together, the cultivated natural olive tree. And we share that tree and we share the same root. We share the same rich oil of the fatness, which is the Holy Spirit coming up through the, up through the trunk from the roots that are mentioned in Romans 9, verses 4 and 5. And we come, get the, this power comes up into the tree and it bears fruit. And the fruit is attractive fruit. So that when people look at you and me, they say, wow, I love that apple. He or she looks so attractive. Oh, I want to eat what they're eating. 
That's what we want to do as it comes up through the, through the tree. So does it apply to us? Yes, it does. Because right now, here in the Sunshine Coast, in Nambour, wherever we live, we are salt. We are the salt for this land here where God has put us. And we are the light of the world in this area. Our lives manifest salt and our lives manifest light. The light of the glory of, of, of the Lord Jesus. The light of the world. And that's what we manifest as we live our lives. As Deb was saying, wherever we go, there are opportunities. And the Lord brings these divine intersections into our lives. Deliberately. Deliberately. We mustn't get guilty if we fluff it. And I've fluffed it many a time. And I could have said more. I should have said something. But God is very patient and understanding because he knows my frailties. He knows your frailties. We mustn't beat ourselves up on it. But as we walk with him, so he develops more and more relationships. So we, we are salt here in Nambour. We are salt for the Sunshine Coast. And we do it right. We must make sure our salt is unsullied. So there's nothing in your life or in my life that would deteriorate the cleanliness and the purity of the salt. Because he said, you are my salt in Nambour and wherever you live. And you get this right and we'll take it into all the world. Wouldn't that be good? Be encouraged, folks, and thank you, Deb. What you shared was so good. I'm blessed. Thank you, Darren. Thanks, Peter. That was great. Um, you can see Deb's an evangelist, and you can see Peter's a teacher. Can you see that? I don't know how that works there. So. Um, like I said earlier, we, we've been talking about... Uh, community reaching our wider community but where do you start you know salt we've been called as peter has just said to be salt of the earth deb talked about how we can be salt and light to people now salt is not just a radio station it's what we're called to be but we can't reach our community out there until we have our community in here that is functioning well this is our launch pad to reach the whole community i would say this we are better together don't you believe that we are better together. Community is a two-way street. It shouldn't be what you get out of a community. It should be what you give. So many people I talk to, they say they went to such and such a church. I didn't like that church. I didn't get anything out of it. Why are we supposed to get stuff out of it? You know, maybe perhaps the question is, well, what did you give? What did you bring to the table? What did you contribute? You know, it's, it's a community. And you might get wonderful things from your community. But what makes a community is what we give to it, isn't it? That's what makes the difference. And we can impact our wider community for Christ if we make sure that we are giving, not only within our church, but outside of our church. I love the way Deb just turns every, you know, a guy turns up to, uh, to wash the windows and she leads him to Christ. That's pretty good, isn't it? Most people in churches never lead anybody to Jesus. But wouldn't you like to be the person who does? Put your hand up if you'd love to, do, love to do that sometime. I believe God can do that. I believe God is going to do that. So I want to look uh, just briefly as we wrap it up at four ways that we can become part of this community and thereby reach our wider community with the gospel and the love of Christ. The first thing is be available. If you are too busy doing everything else in life, you're unavailable to your community and you're also unavailable to the Holy Spirit a lot of times. So many people do stuff, they, their lives are so full of stuff that they, they never have time for Christ. You know, and some of us in church, we, we're too busy doing the king's business. We have no time for the king. We've got to make time. And we've got to make time to be in a community as well. In my opinion, nothing is more important in life than serving Jesus. So not career, not business, not even family. It's more important that I serve Jesus because his word says, if you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, what do you get? All the other stuff. So instead of chasing all the other stuff, we should serve him and see what he brings along our way. So to become part of a community, the first step is to just be available. You know, if you never show up at church and you never tune in online and you never call anyone from church, you're not really part of the community, are you? So the first step is to be available. Like Isaiah said in Isaiah 6 verse 8, I heard a voice from the Lord saying, Whom shall we send? Who will go for us? And then Isaiah said, Here am I, send me. How many of you here are sitting and you think, man, I would love to do something with my life? 
Is anybody here like that? You know, I don't want to float through my life and be nothing. I want to do something with my life. I was talking with someone the other day. I don't know if you like history. I love history. It's kind of cool. And I look back through history at all the great momentous times. Wouldn't it have been great to have been in the Bible and be one of the first disciples? Wouldn't it be great to be, you know, in, in World War II and be a hero, or World War I and be a hero, or the Napoleonic Wars, or, or, or the Gold Rush? How cool would it be to be discovering it? And I look back at all these moments in history, how cool it would be to be a part of it. But I'm telling you, right now is a moment in history. We've never seen anything like this pandemic. We've never seen the social changes that they are forcing on us. This is our moment as believers to stand up and be counted. This is our moment in history. We will look back in years to come. You know, someone will look back and say, where were you when the big pandemic? What did you do when the big pandemic happened? I went to Aldi and bought toilet paper. You know, there's got to be more to life. There's got to be more to life than just floating through and being nothing. So we need to be available. The second thing is we need to be vulnerable. Whenever you open your heart to others, you become vulnerable. If you truly love someone, it always costs you something. You have to open up, you have to share truths from your heart, share your struggles, your history, your heartaches, even even share your sin. You have to be open enough to share your sins. The Bible says in James 5.16, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You know, like opening up and sharing with people is not easy is it dead silence my goodness you know it's not easy to make yourself vulnerable but if you ever want to love someone you have to be vulnerable that's just the way it works and uh, becoming part of a community involves you sharing a little bit of yourself which makes you more vulnerable and uh, taking a chance, if you will. Over the last few weeks, uh, I have to confess, I'm not good at this at times. And over the last few weeks, I've had some uh, health struggles and visits to doctors and all this sort of stuff and other stuff going on. And I didn't want to tell anyone. And so I got, I bore all that stress myself. And yet I have a team of people in this church who wanted to carry that load with me. And I wouldn't open up to them because I didn't want to be vulnerable. And so I think to be a part of a community, you've got to be vulnerable. Is that right? You've got to open yourself up. The third thing is to be a contributor. Community is better when you contribute. When you become a contributor, you move from outside the group to inside the group. You become part of the community because you're not a taker, you're a giver. You're part of what is going on. If you look at Acts chapter 2, verse 44, describing the, the new fledgling church that formed. And uh, I, I would love to see as, as a more Acts 2 church, wouldn't you? Um, And this is what it says in verse 44. All who believed were together and they had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. (coughs) You see what's happening in that community? People are giving. People are selling stuff to bless people who have none. That doesn't happen a lot these days. But that's where these guys were at. They were not just observing. They were not just criticizing. They were not just judging how well they thought others were doing in the place. They were part of the solution. They were actually stepping in and doing stuff. They were doing things. They were caring for the poor. They were selling their belongings, gathering together, fellowshipping in homes and being generous. They'd become contributors. They were actually giving to their community instead of just trying to take from it. So I think giving and being a contributor is an important part of being a community. The fourth thing is to be a team player. In Ecclesiastes it says this, chapter 4, two are better than one because they have a good return for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone and falls and has no one else to lift him up. Two are better than one. It's always better to share the journey. As Deb said, they went out by, you know, two by two. It's always better to share the journey with someone else. Now, for years, we've been told isolation is important. Isolation is the way to go. It's the way to keep yourself safe. It's not true, folks. Because for your mental health and for your general health, you know, it's good to share the journey with someone else, isn't it? Loneliness is overrated. I'd rather be hanging out with people, with friends, with people who love you, whom you love. A community is about being part of a team. There's a great strength, a great joy when you're part of a team. You endure struggles together and you enjoy success together. And the success of the group becomes yours because you belong. You're part of a team. 
I remember being in London. I was there one time with Bill Newman, and we're in the middle of London. And uh, if you know me well, I'm an Arsenal football fan. And the Arsenal game had just got out, and everybody all around was wearing red and white everywhere. And I wanted to know what the score was. So I approached a, a reasonably normal-looking person, because not all of them were, and, and I said, can you tell me what the score in the game was? And he said, oh, yeah, we, we won the game 2-0 uh, two, two or whatever it was. And I said, oh, fantastic. He said, are you an Arsenal fan? I said, yes, I am. He said, where are you from? I said, Australia. And he went, hey, great. And he gathered. And before I knew it, there was 20 or 30 people in red and white around me, shaking my hand, patting me on the back like a long-lost brother or something because I, because I support the same football team. That was all. It didn't matter if I was black or white, gay or straight, Pommy or Aussie. I was a fan. And therefore, I was part of the team, the team of fans. And I enjoyed the success. And so they, they just thought it was fantastic. And I was like, wow, instant celebrity. That's amazing, you know. See, a team is where you pull together. And a team sharpens one another. As Proverbs says, iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. In John chapter 21, you remember Jesus was uh, in his post-resurrected form in John 21. He saw the disciples. They were fishing. And he commanded, they, they had not caught any fish. And he said, cast your net out on the other side. Do you remember that story? And they caught this abundant load of fish. Now, we, uh, uh, this was mentioned at a conference I went to during the week. And it really struck me. The men were fishing with a net. They were not fishing with lines. Now, as I heard of this conference, if the disciples had been fishing with, with fishing lines, and Jesus said, cast your lines on the other side of the net, they'd have caught 11 fish. That's it, because there was one fish per line. But because their lines had been woven into a net, they actually caught, the Bible says, 153 fish, and the net did not break. See, you can reach people just with one line. Wherever you are, you can, be, you can say, oh, well, I can reach people for Christ and I can impact their life, yes. But when we weave our lines together in community into a net, we can catch so many more fish. That's what church is about. We're not here to make up the numbers. We're not here to fill in a Sunday morning. We're not here to irritate council, although we do all those. We are here because we're community and we are better together in our community. We can pull together. You can reach people for Christ on your own, but we can reach more if we do it together. Deuteronomy 32 30 says this, one can put a thousand to, to, to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight. And we know that it's a principle in the Lord. Now, I believe that Ignite is a great, we're a great team here. We've got a wonderful things happening. And this is a church where you can have opportunities to serve and you can have co-laborers to walk the journey with you and support you and love you and care for you and sharpen your gifts. Who wants to get better at what you're gifted at? I certainly do. I mean, Deb just came up here and she told us how she turns conversation, how she looks for opportunities. Well, that's something we can learn from her, isn't it? Because we can, we can learn and understand how to, you know, move opportunities around. Peter said we should be salt and light and, and that we shouldn't dilute our salt. But I tell you, the world is full of church people out there diluting their salt right now. They don't know where they are because they're, they're, they're watering stuff down. We've just got to stick to the truth, folks. And we can do it better together. Here you have a team that can fulfill your ministry dreams. If you choose to dive in and be part of this team, your dreams, I believe, in, in serving the Lord will come true. If you want to be part of a winning team, this is a great place to be. So I want to encourage you not just to, to attend Ignite. Well, I want to encourage you to attend. We love it when you attend. But I want to encourage you to go a little bit further. Why not become an active part of our community? I, I know it might cost you something. It might cost you a little bit of time or you sharing and opening your heart to be a bit vulnerable. But that, you know, the prize is that you can become part of something great of what God is doing. Wouldn't it be great? I mean, if, if you could look back and say, man, I was there when this incredible move of God kicked off. I would love to say that to people. You know, I was there when this revival exploded out of Nambour. Right? But to be that, you've got to be part of the team. If you're satisfied with just attending, that's fine. But I'm telling you there's more. Nothing can measure up to the satisfaction of changing someone else's life. Wouldn't you love to live a life that makes a difference? Who wants to make a difference in the world? I certainly do. I don't want to float through and have the world. You know, they say some people cause happiness 
wherever they go. Other people cause happiness whenever they go. I want to be the first one, not the second one. I want the world to be a better place because I passed through it. And we take this very seriously at this church. We take Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 seriously. Let us consider how we may stir one another towards love and good works, not neglecting meeting together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Well, the day is approaching. And I believe Jesus is coming back. And we have limited time, but this is our moment in history. We can step into history and we can say we're going to make a difference and we are better at it together. We want you to have a life of greatness in God, to fulfill your destiny. And, I, you know, not everybody is gifted the same way. And praise the Lord for that. You know, we, we are all different. The Bible talks about a body and we're all different parts of the body. But whatever it is that you love to do, my job as pastor and our team's job and our church's job is to get you to shine at what you do and be even better at what you do and give you opportunities. So if you want to pray, we have prayer teams. If you want to care for the poor, we have teams doing that. If you love evangelism, we have teams going out on the streets. If you love singing or playing music or preaching or sharing or caring or making or baking, whatever it is, we have teams that are doing that. If you like doing things with your hands and making stuff, we've got a craft group that does. You know, there's, there's so many ways that you can get invested and contribute to our community. We run regular 101 and 201 classes where you can discover your gifts and where you fit in. I want to invite you to make a commitment with me today to just be part of our community, to be a contributor and do, it doesn't matter what it is. We're not going to force you to do something you don't like. When, some of you, when Deb is sharing, now Deb's an evangelist, she's up here sharing how easy it is to lead the window cleaner to the Lord, right? And some of you here are thinking, not a chance in the world will I ever say that because it's not your gifting. I get that. But you're, you might be someone who can, who can you know, bring, brings a, a meal around to somebody that absolutely, and that opens their heart. And so you can still share the gospel. You know, we talk about shining the light. You just, we, we need to shine our light everywhere in this community, don't we? Right across our community, but we do it better together. That's the point. Whatever you're gifting, we join our gifts together to become the complete body of Christ. And I'll tell you, one of the things I know about a candle, have you ever been down in a cave and it is pitch black and they turn off the lights and it is pitch black? You cannot see anything. You hold your hand here, you can't see your hand. It is so dark. You cannot believe how dark that thing is. And if someone lights a candle, it nearly blows you away. You see, we get to shine brightest the darkest it is. If you light a candle in a room, you go, oh, that's nice. You light it in a cave, man, it, it just fills the whole cave with light. That's the nature of light. We shine best and brightest when all around is dark. And I believe all around is getting darker and darker. This is our moment in history, folks, to shine. And we do it better together. You don't have to join us. We're doing it anyway. But I want to give you the opportunity to do something around our, our, our church and get connected and get involved. I'm not being rude or pushy. I just don't want it, you to float through and find at the end of it You've missed the greatest opportunity to be a part of what God is doing, expanding his kingdom in this place. Wouldn't you love to know that you're not just taking up space here, but that God is using you to touch and change the lives of other people? Wouldn't you love to know that? Because I believe he can do that. Wouldn't you love to know that your destiny was being fulfilled? So it's time to commit to, to getting out of the stands and onto the field. You know, you can cheer all you like from the stands, but when you actually take the field, it's a slightly different situation. But isn't it great that you have the opportunity to do that? And I believe we do. Some of you here are thinking, well, I, I don't know what I can do. Brilliant. God loves that. Let him show you. Just get connected in and let him show you what he can do. Some of us here have gifts. You come in and say, Lord, let me show you what I can do for you. No, 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 no. If you're just open, let him show you what you can do. And I believe God is going to raise people up right now. And it will change your life. It will change your destiny. And what you do will last for eternity. 
There are three things that are eternal. God, his word, and the souls of men and women. And if we're not investing in any of those things, we are not investing in eternal things. In God himself, in his word, in our quiet times of reading and studying and learning, and in the souls of men and women. Because your car, your house, everything, that's all going all gonna to go. All that is left is going to be what we do in, for eternity one day. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Would you bow your heads? Lord, I just pray that you would speak to our hearts right now as you've challenged us this morning that we are salt, we are light. As you've challenged us this morning that we can reach our community, but we do it better together. Heavenly Father, we want to raise a, a voice that says, Lord, here am I, choose me. And if God is speaking to you this morning, I want to challenge you right now. We're not going to bring you forward this morning. This is between you and God. But what I want you to do is to search your heart. And if you are prepared to step up and do something, anything, to just contribute to our community, this is your moment. Never say you've never been asked because you're asked right now. Would you like, would you be open to following the Lord and doing whatever he commands you to do and being part of our community in that way? If that is you, I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to ask you to pray it with me. And together we're going to commit ourselves to serving the Lord here in this place. So if that is you, just say these words with me. Lord Jesus... I make myself open and available to you. Here am I, Lord, use me. Just as we continue in prayer, if that is you, I just want you to raise your hand wherever you are. I believe it's going to be many, many of us. It's a lot of us saying, Lord, use me, use me, use me. Praise God, you can put them down now.